wherever you all are, I have good news. Hi, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Cynthia Hayes. You're listening to Gimme Good News Radio, an audio service of Gimme Good News Daily, hosted on WordPress. In today's show, we'll hear good news from Ohio, Alaska, and Louisiana. But first, let's visit Illinois. From Cleveland Magazine, Neobiz, Importance of Reading, Through Literacy in the Hood, Helping Out Our Disenfranchised. Krishonda Matthew distributes books for students to read at home. Based in the Miles and Broadway area of Cleveland, Literacy in the Hood, Helping Out Our Disenfranchised, addresses Krishonda Matthews' concern that many students don't have books to read at home. She questioned how much the extended time away from the classroom affects a student's ability to read upon returning to school. Quote, 66% of Clevelanders are functionally illiterate, says Matthew, so how are they helping their babies at home? The least I could do was to make sure kids had books to read, end quote. She implored friends, family, and colleagues to clear out any children's books they might have, then applied for a grant and was able to get funding to purchase more books to distribute. From Columbus Alive, local artists aim to preserve and restore Smoky Brown Mural. A fading short north mural is getting new attention through a GoFundMe campaign seeking to move the art to Central Community House on the Near East Side. In a city in which the public art of past generations often disappears without a warning as culture gives way to condos, a nascent effort to preserve a 25-year-old mural in the short north is receiving a welcome reaction. That's my dad. A mural by late Columbus folk artist Smokey Brown was part of a multi-artist project commissioned in 1995 by the since-closed Shortstop Teen Center, housed in the basement of a church at 1066 North High Street, according to Richard Duart Brown, one of the artists who participated, along with Brown, Lenny Anderson, and Leon Page. The current preservation effort was initiated by Dan Dugan, former owner of local music clubs Stashes and for 10 years Little Brothers, located next door to Shortstop at 1100 North High Street, the current site of Standard Hall. On a recent walk through his former haunts, Dugan came upon the Smoky Brown Bureau. Knowing how rapidly the neighborhood has changed, he reached out to members of the art community to see what could be done to preserve the work. Quote, I knew Smokey from the 80s, and I had worked with the church and teen center on shared parking and scheduling, Dugan said. While we were at Little Brothers, I became a dad, and those murals were favorites, in particular of my son. It's still there, but it's deteriorating. I'd like to get Smokey to a place where he'll be protected and appreciated. Dugan contacted A.J. Vanderelli, who subsequently reached out to Duart Brown, no relation to Smokey, and Shelby Harris Roseboro, currently the executive director of All People's Arts on the city's south side and a longtime elder art advocate. Quote, as soon as I went to the Smokey Brown mural site, I was like, we have to move this to Central Community House. Harris Roseboro said, this needs to happen. 
As part of its function as a community center for the city's Near East Side, Central Community House is the site of community arts program Transit Arts, which traces its heritage back to shortstop, both programmatically and through Jackie Calderoni, who co-founded both institutions. Quote, there was a basketball court in a parking lot at our building, as is the way with kids, there was a lot of trash talking that went on there, which would sometimes lead to fights, Calderoni said. Duart being Duart said we should put up some art on the walls, so we commissioned the Fathers and Sons Project, which included a variety of arts, a theater piece, music, and the murals. I remember the day they were painting, it started to rain, but these fabulous artists just kept painting, end quote. The fact that Smokey Brown's mural still stands on the site of the long-closed teen center is a, quote, powerful statement about what happens when you create a sense of beauty in a community, said Calderoni, who concurred with Harris Roseboro that Central Community House offers an ideal location for the relocation and preservation of the mural. Quote, we have several pieces of Grandpa Smokey's art at the Central Community House, and the fact that Duarte is there as part of the leadership of Transit Arts, it just feels like a special opportunity, end quote. Quote, I talked to our board and it was pretty much a no-brainer, Central Community House Executive Director Tammy Forrest said. Quote, the connection to Transit Arts and with the arts at the core of so much of what we do, we're thankful that Shelby reached out to us, end quote. Vandrelli created the GoFundMe campaign in support of the preservation effort, which would include the full deconstruction of the block wall on its current site and the refurbishment and rebuild process on Bryden Road. Harris Roseboro said it's so early in the process that it's hard to know how much the project might cost, but she assured potential donors that, quote, whatever comes in will go toward preserving this mural, end quote. She said she's not aware of any imminent threats to the wall on which the mural is painted, attempts to contact a landlord for the 1066 North High Street structure, did not receive replies at press time. Both Forrest and Calderoni recognized the need to work with the City of Columbus via its Area and Historical Commissions to realize the project, but both also mentioned the opportunities for sharing stories about Near East Side artists like Smokey Brown and his contemporaries, including Kojo Kamal and Amina Robinson. Indeed, Duarte Brown is working on a project documenting the art and artists of the time called the East Side Canon. It is in part his own history, as those artists were his mentors when he was a young black artist in Columbus. Quote, for me, those people were family, Duarte Brown said. Smokey was a teacher to me, and with me not having a father figure in my life, Smokey was like a father, or a grandfather. I treasure that. And now, out of nowhere, people are asking me again about this mural, about fathers and sons, and the stories that go along with it. The fact that these young people want to preserve that mural blows me away. End quote. And Coshocton Senior Services continue despite building closure. The Coshocton Senior Center will stay closed until at least the first of the year, but continues to offer programs and assistance to local senior citizens as they have throughout the COVID pandemic. 
Christy Neighbor, Senior Center Director, said senior centers and adult daycare programs are some of the first entities to close in Ohio due to the pandemic, and she knew that they would be among the last to open. The elderly are a high-risk group for COVID due to age, health issues, and other elements. Governor Mike DeWine on August 20th said nursing home and adult daycare programs could reopen in September if they followed specific guidelines. Neighbors said the permission to open wasn't a mandate and there are still many questions and concerns regarding the coronavirus and state policies and procedures. Prior to the governor's announcement, neighbors said they were looking at January as a reopening date for seniors coming into the building on Browns Lane. They're keeping with that date, although that could change depending on state guidance and how the pandemic goes in the last quarter of the year. Quote, it was permission to open, not a requirement, or that you need to feel compelled to open. They were saying, if you can safely follow all these guidelines, then September 21st is the date to reopen. Neighbor said of the governor's announcement, people think all this time that that's what we're doing, getting prepared to reopen, when really all this time we were changing and modifying our systems on how we do things here to accommodate the new. The Senior Center is offering most of its programs they were before the pandemic, with home delivery meals being a big one, and have even started a few new ones. Neighbors said the community has also been strong in providing donations and other help. A picnic lunch with hot dogs and chips and bingo from vehicles was held Wednesday in the Senior Center parking lot. It was sponsored by the Interim Health Care of Coshocton with prizes donated from the different organizations. An FM transmitter was used for people to hear the numbers called over the radio. They would honk their horn when they obtained a bingo. Erica Messler of Interim Healthcare's Home Care Division said they've partnered with the Senior Center for events in the past, but nothing like the parking lot bingo. However, it was a way they thought they could safely reach out and provide entertainment to elderly in the community. Quote, it's something to get them out of the house and let them have some fun while forgetting the hardships they're going on right now for them. Messler said of the activity, Neighbors said the number one thing she and staff have been hearing from clients is that they miss coming into the center and having that chance to connect with others during lunch and other activities. Quote, I don't think the seniors realize that if and when we come back here, it's never, or at least it's not for a really long time, going to be the senior center as they knew it. Neighbors said the reason a lot of them even came was to visit and congregating still isn't a good idea, end quote. Prior to the pandemic, the Home Delivered Meal Program had about 380 deliveries a day. About 75 people were eating at the center. The program is now delivering approximately 550 meals, which includes curbside pickup at the center. Meals are for those 60 and older. Most drivers are leaving meals outside doors, but they're going into homes if the person is disabled or has other issues. Neighbors said drivers must see the person through a window before leaving the drop-offs and are still acting as a well-being check. They're not delivering on Wednesdays right now as a way to reduce exposure because that's 500 less contacts in one day. Drivers also recently delivered wellness kits through the area agency on aging 
a partnership with AT&T. It features masks, sanitizers, and other items. Neighbors said they have also received a $25,000 grant for Meals on Wheels programs to update their kitchen equipment. The Coshocton Elks Lodge is donating $5,500 for the meal program, too. Quote, it's been great, neighbors said of the support. Even the state has provided surveys to senior centers asking what we can get you. They've been really good about touching base with everyone and making sure you have what you need to continue your services. A grocery delivery program also started over the summer. Clients can submit a list and employees will shop for them usually the same day or the next day. They have partnered with Bueller's Fresh Foods for the program as they will allow the seniors to pay for groceries over the phone. And center workers don't have to handle money. They have about 40 shopping trips last month. The Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program is also new to the county. Eligible seniors receive $50 in vouchers to redeem at farmers markets and other vendors like Schumacher's Farms for fresh fruits and vegetables. Quote, I think they just like going to those places and having access to fresh fruits and vegetables, neighbors said, I thought the seniors would love it, and that's why we do it, end quote. For more information on any programs in Coshocton, contact the Senior Center at 740-622-4852. Together We Can brings free drive through food distribution. And Bullhead City Vehicles line up as Together We Can Tri-State Arizona prepared to distribute free food to as many as 350 people on Tuesday morning. The demand was shy of 300 people driving through a parking lot at Rotary Park, but the group plans to give out food in Bullhead City once a week using the same no-contact drive through process as it employed the first event. Together We Can has partnered with St. Mary's Food Bank and Bullhead City Parks and Recreation for emergency food distribution. This first event was conceived, arranged, and carried out within less than a week. Some of the volunteers were new to the operation and learning procedures that morning. Quote, the team did a great job, said Linda Dooling, the group's executive director. Dooling said the sources for these weekly distributions will increase enough to serve up to 450 people beginning next week. Getting the word out so people who need the food can know to show up is expected to quickly increase demand at these weekly distribution events. Quote, we already know there is a need, Dooling explained. Food not picked up Tuesday was delivered to multiple resident dwellings where people live who are known to require such assistance. The overall goal is to greatly increase the amount of food available to residents who need it and to get it to people not only by drive through distribution, but from more food banks. It's an endeavor that will require not only additional volunteers, but donations. Dooling explained that efforts will result in a stone soup of sorts that will allow the entire community to benefit by having food to eat, giving of themselves, and living in a more caring place. 
Some people were looking for more food that was available for each person. The rules requiring recipients to show identification help organizers describe to program providers who will be eating the food and ensure resources are used properly to carry out these events. Overfilling vehicles with numerous loads can be potentially unsafe for volunteers as well as recipients. It also can end up in causing food to go to waste. Dooling asks that people coming to future distribution events make sure their vehicles are clean and have enough space for the food being given out to be placed easily. A good-sized crate or box would work well to hold the items within a vehicle trunk or truck bed and displaying identification from inside vehicles with the windows closed is a requirement stemming from COVID-19 safety guidelines to ensure all involved won't be spreading or contracting the virus. Those interested in volunteering or donating can contact Dooling by calling 928-605-7868. This item came from my husband. He found it on one of his favorite websites, The Drive. When car dealers end up in the news, it's rarely for a good reason. More often than not, it's because they're mistreating customers, scalping limited production models, or outright conspiring against the direct sales models that circumvent the divisive dealer system. But this time, we're reporting on a car dealership for something good. How good? A New York Chevy dealer gifted a brand new car to an elderly veteran. Joe Basil Chevrolet was visited last Thursday by 104-year-old veteran Clint Johnson. And though specific details of his service weren't shared, both his centenarian status and 20th Air Force cap suggests he served in World War II. While Johnson is said to have shown up intending to buy a 2020 Chevrolet Sonic, dealer staff saw no better way to thank him for his service. All gave some, some gave all, as they say, than handing over the keys for free. Joe Basil Chevrolet has a track record of this sort of generosity and up through 2019 ran an annual Vehicles for Vets program that funded both a local veterans center and a car giveaway. Because COVID-19 presumably precluded this year's event, Joe Basil Chevrolet appears to have cut to the chase and simply given a car to the first person it deemed eligible. While sales of the dated Chevrolet Sonic are some of the poorest in the brand's lineup, and the opportunity to rid one was likely welcomed by the dealer, its past veteran giveaway programs have let customers pick the vehicles they want. So while most readers of the drive would make a beeline for a 2020 Chevrolet Corvette, there are more important things to consider at age 104 than sub-30 to 60 times. In Flagstaff, man keeps his nose to the grindstone even at age 80. Junior, the yawning receptionist guarding the stairway with studied indifference, thumps his tail and barks once to indicate a customer. 
and now here comes Joe Gosling spooning up the last of his yogurt and berry breakfast and adjusting his red, white, and blue American flag suspenders before popping his head out the window and croaking in his Bob Dylan inflected voice, Hey buddy, time to get to work. Time once more to turn us home. In Gosling's case, a rusted 1970s-era Dodge American Clipper motorhome into his office, situated in the parking lot of the Home Depot on Flagstaff's east side. Time to fire up the grinder, oil the whetstone, then sharpen some knives for folks. Gosling, 80, and a peripatetic sort, is back in Flagstaff now after a summer roaming the West, sharpening knives to make a book and supplement his $1,000 a month Social Security check. Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, various spots in eastern Arizona, Gosling sure gets around. But he still considers Flagstaff a home base, the town where he worked first as a cab driver and then a plumber and construction worker back in the day. And bowing to age and coronavirus concerns, he's hit upon an unusual way to get by in his pandemic age. Park in a shopping center if they'll have him and hang out a shingle, touting knife sharpening, axes, scissors, and edge tools, veteran owned garnished with a flag logo. Management at the Home Depot's let him park in a discreet section of the lot and Gosling and Junior fling open the door to the American Clipper seven days a week, grinder poised for action. The day's first customer, a 40-something man named Kyle Christensen, along with his teenage daughter, approaches with a smile on his face and a dull pocket knife in hand. Junior, an aging golden retriever mix, sniffs him out first, then, apparently satisfied, plops on the foot of the stairs. Hey, buddy, Gosling croaks, then nods toward the knife. So, uh, I just ask for donation. I'll donate a lot if you can make that sharp, Christensen says. I'll make it like a razor for you in jig time. This looks like it's been neglected. It's a landscaping knife. It's cut through rock and dirt. Well, I can sharpen that up and adjust all these screws and give it a couple of drops of 3-in-1 oil, and it, it'll be just like new. Give me about 10 minutes. It'll be ready when you come out the store. Before Christensen can retreat to do his shopping, Gosselin launches into his life history, at least a bit of it. He's lived an eventual life, so a full rendering could take hours. But father and daughter seem enamored with Gosselin. He is for sure a dynamic character, not easily forgotten. His face is lined with well-folded road map, horizontal and vertical lines intersecting when he smiles, which is often. He sports a pencil-thin mustache to match caterpillar-like eyebrows, while his silver hair is caught military short. But those patriotic suspenders are needed to hold up his brown canvas work pants, since he recently lost 60 pounds after a VA doctor warned he had heart condition. You know, he begins, I only make a thousand a month in Social Security, so I started out with two files and a whetstone. But I've got all the tools now. The stimulus money came in this spring and the Social Security money came in. And a good Christian man came up and asked me if I knew Jesus Christ. I told him I live my life according to his doctrine to do others as they do unto you. 
And so he handed me an envelope with $1,000 in it. I was able to buy a new generator, the knife sharpening equipment, new tires, shocks, things I desperately needed since this is my home. Christensen nods and shuffles his feet. His daughter starts typing on her iPad and Gosling's soliloquy soldiers on. I sold a home I built down near Wilcox years ago and I lost my shirt during the recession. So for years I was living in a bush in retirement, living payday to payday. And I read every book imaginable and I was totally bored out of my mind. I needed to work. I'm not one to beg with a sign or nothing like that or anything like that. So I came up with this idea, sharpening. Gosselin often catches himself when he makes a grammatical error. He may not be traditionally book smart, but he learned in the Air Force to value knowledge, and he's proud of his impressive vocabulary. People did this kind of thing after the Second World War, sold pencils on the street, he continues. There were no jobs, I remember that. As a small child, I couldn't really fathom it, but now I do. He looks at Christensen's daughter, face buried in the iPad, is that like a cell phone? It's a tablet, Christensen says. You could probably use it as a phone. Nice big screen so you can see everything. Can I use my Samsung with that? My goodness, I just got a modern phone three months ago from T-Mobile and I'm totally stoked. I ordered so much stuff on it, all my knife sharpening equipment. Eventually, as Christensen and daughter drift off into the store, Gosselin runs his callous thumb over the blade of the pocket knife and heads to his workshop, which doubles as his kitchen and bedroom and den inside the American Clipper. It's dark and dank inside. The full wood cabinets faded with time and the formica laminate kitchen table chipped, but clean. The only thing new here are his grinder and knife sharpener purchased at Home Depot with earnings from his new career and a bright red microwave oven to zap his dinner. Bought this rig, the American Clipper, three and a half years ago, he says. I went to Gunnison when it got hot here in the summer and my motor seized up, just died. I had the tow truck drop me at a city market and a Walmart. I didn't know what to do. I just got my social security check, but I can't live on it. I needed a new motor. Somebody put something up on Facebook in Gunnison. This nice lady taking a picture of Junior and me in front of the rig. And she implored people to help me. He looks up from his work grinding the blade and grins. People started giving me $500 donations. Then boxes and knives started arriving. In two weeks in that lot I sat there and made $3,000, bless him. Gosselin's mouth and grinder keep running in a steady hum. It is an elaborate setup, this workbench, given the cramped space of the American Clippers countertop. I was trained to do this as a child in Hershey, Pennsylvania, he continues, scattered sparks coming off the grinder. Gosselin has seen the country in his time. He was married once to a hula girl in Hawaii, but she's passed on now, and he's moved on. He throws out names of towns like those sparks coming off the knife's edge. Quartzite, Wilcox, Gallup, Tuba City, Ramah, New Mexico, Telluride, Crested Butte. He plied his sharpening trade all over before coming back to Flagstaff for the fall, his favorite spot, a strip mall outside Winslow. All of a sudden, he recalls, Police surrounded me. I thought, oh my God, I'm soliciting in the Walmart parking lot. I'm in trouble. 
but they all wanted their knives sharpened. I wore out two files, but I made a hundred dollars, and I got slaps on the back from all the officers. He lives for stories like that, Goslin says. Does he live, too, for the life on the road? Totally, indubitably, he explains. I wouldn't want any other home. I've owned several, and I wouldn't live in a box now if you gave it to me. Nose back at the grindstone, he finishes off sharpening Christensen's knife. Then he and Junior wait for the next customer. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We'll visit more next time on Gimme Good News Radio. If you'd like to read along or find any of the articles you've heard today, visit www.gimmegoodnewsdaily.wordpress.com.